the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, how do our phones influence the way that we pray? And then we're going to talk about a difficult subject, finding joy in the dark. Why has there been a decline in Bible reading in America? And later, it's Friday. You know what that means. We have a top five list for you. You're listening to The Common Good. Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a Friday afternoon. Aubrey, Friday the afternoon. week has flown by. I can't believe we're already here. Unbelievable. Have I told you, like, you know, it feels like we're getting near the end of the school year. My daughter's graduating, you know, in less than a month. That's wild. And uh, she's got, like, she picked up her cap and gown the other day. Oh. And one thing that I forgot is like your senior year, they kind of shut you down really early. So it's like, we have this program and we go here and we have. (laughs) Right. Like you're basically done, but like we need to keep you here. (laughs) Tell me this doesn't sound like a nightmare. Like this is how old I am now. They have later on in the month and it's not just a a, a her school. It's like for all high schools. Not every Uh high school does this, but it's for whatever high schools want to. They rent out Great America. Oh, well. Here's the important part. 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Uh, although I would do it. If I was that age, I would have done it in a heartbeat. For sure. But does there sound no anything lines, worse? Probably. Like, does there sound oh, like man. anything worse than like 1.30 in the morning? You've just eaten nachos and you're going on Batman or something. I mean, not at this age. Although as a teenager, that would have been like my dream right? come true. Like you always had fantasies about being in the theme park late at night by yourself. If that was Disney, I'd be there now. Like today. Yeah. Like to, this day. Right. Right this instant. Like today, <laughs> yeah. Just in case we're clear, today. Well, yeah. that's that's fun. I can't. We we told our kids earlier in the week. Uh, you guys, you only have uh, let's say twenty four days of school, not counting the weekends, just like the actual days of school. I don't know if that's right, but it was something like that. And remember how time is when your kids like they were like, oh, that's so long. <laughs> and Kevin and I were like, no, that's coming so fast. What are we gonna do this summer? It is it is crazy to think the school year is starting to it, officially winding down now. That's right. That's that's right. It is coming to an end. And so, uh, yeah, summer is just around the corner. Well, Aubrey, uh, we talk on this show a lot about prayer and a lot about not even just prayer, but the idea that uh, there are things working against us culturally mm. right now in our desire or our need to slow down and yeah. to just and therefore. And I don't know if you find this when I read this article, I actually was like, I actually feel this in my own life. Like sometimes we're like, oh, other people, they do this. I actually feel yeah. this in my own life. The the influence that our phones are having in on us vis-a-vis or as it relates to our prayer lives. Mm. That uh, So let me just throw it out there and then we'll get into this article at the Gospel okay. Coalition in a little bit. Okay. How do you think uh, social media, our phones, 
uh, everything, even also just being able to stream whatever we want, whenever we want, all of the things that we value right now, entertainment-wise mm-hmm. as a culture, how they actually work against the spiritual discipline of prayer, of contemplation, and the like. Um, goodness gracious. I mean, there there's a lot there, but I think the, the biggest thing is just the distraction. Mm. Like, we are so... Um, we are so ready to be distracted now because we have distractions so readily available to us that I do think we've created new pathways even in our brain that cause us to go, uh, okay, I'm going to spend a few minutes in silence and, you know, listening prayer. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we're like, ding! Oh, but do I have <laughs> What's happening on Twitter? Am I missing out on the latest update on Instagram? You know, yeah. and I mean, I like, I think our brains have been totally rewired. Like, I really think our actual personhood has changed. And I do think we've, we've used this phrase before on the common good, but I do think it's like a counter liturgy and you have to be very intentional about it to be like, I'm turning my phone off or I'm putting it like on top of the freezer where I can't access it in order to just have a few minutes of quiet time, Bible reading, prayer, focused attention on God. But it's like, it's a, you have to be more intentional than ever. That's right. I know for me, uh, when I stop to read my Bible, when I stop to pray or even like sermon prep or anything Mm -hmm. that takes mind work, this is why I'm impressed Mm -hmm. by by people like you who've gone back to school, (laughs) but (laughs) anything that takes long concentration, I can't concentrate the use, the way I used to, Mm. like, I can't do, it's not true. I can't do quiet. I can't do like the other day I was I was writing my sermon at Panera because, you know, that's what I love to write uh, my sermons at. And I, I realized I've checked Twitter like five times in the last hour for zero reason. Like I'm not like looking to check something. It's just this. We are constantly filling our minds with things. We're constantly filling our attention with things. And yeah. that works counter to be still and know that I am God. That works totally. counter to Jesus went away to a quiet place for an entire yes. night to just yes. pray. And it, it really is to our detriment. And we talk about this a lot. Like we, it is, there is an overstimulation. Um, this article I reference over the Gospel Coalition says this, where our phones have numbed us through overstimulation, prayer summons our senses back to the surface. Our eyes become open when we close them to consider the unseen. So it's this idea of overstimulation. But Aubrey, let's ask, as I like to tell you, the $64,000 question. Uh, so what are we going to do? Like, I don't have a desire mm. to get rid of my phone. I'm not going to become mm. Amish, right? I'm not going to be off the grid. No. no. So what right. do we do? Because we also want to be prayerful people. We want to be people yep. for whom prayer does come somewhat naturally. So yeah, uh, people could be listening right now going, okay, I hear the problem, but what's the answer? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've talked a lot about this book. We had this author on Felicia, uh, Felicia Sue Wong. She's the author of a book called Restless Devices. And so if you want more, she's got very practical tips in it. But some of the things she does is just challenge people like, okay, and there are a few things. One, be with the person that you're with. And that might even be God, Mm. right? Uh, So put whatever you have to do to even if it's for 30 minutes, even if even if you start with 10 minutes, 
you you turn your phone off, you put it in a room away from you, just so it doesn't like because and turn off your notifications so you're not getting dinged because you know there's all this research done that those notifications trigger the same reaction that like a drug mm-hmm. addiction does or gambling addictions. People in Vegas, there's been some uh, connection between that because we we our our brains start firing like oh there's a notification I got to check it right now. So turn your notifications off. Um, and you may need to take certain apps off your phone so that you actually have to go on the internet to access something like Facebook, Instagram, it's Twitter, so that it's not as easy. Mm. It's not just the push of a button. It's like you have to be very intentional, like, okay, I have to go to Twitter.com. <laughs> um, and then, you know, uh, what she suggests is just having like, there are times when like, it's just, it's not on, like, period. It's just not on. And, and you, that doesn't have to be your whole day, but like, uh, she also has no screen rooms in her house, so where she has her quiet time with the oh. Lord, screens are not allowed in there at all. Hmm. Um, bed, The bedroom, screens are not allowed in there at all. So there are some boundaries we can put around it like that. I also think um, we have to even think a little larger than just the boundaries, which is like, what is this phone doing to me? How is it making me a more distracted, restless person? has it become a God in my life technically and ask the Holy spirit to begin putting, I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but put your phone back in its proper place, Mm. you know, in your life so that that's not the thing you're worshiping. Um, and then for me, like I'll, I'll give you a terrible example. This morning I got up and I try to have a, uh, I try to have my quiet, silent time with Jesus in the morning before my day starts. But I knew I had to register my kids for the next school year. And so I was like, okay, I'll quickly register the kids then I'll have my quiet time. Mm-hmm. Well, I go from registering the kids to reading all my other emails to responding to this one thing. To, and soon the alarms started. are going off. At, that's it. Yep. And so we just we have to guard those sacred moments as sacred like Jesus that's, did. Step away intentionally. That's good. I, I, you know, for me, also one thing your phones do because we have access to all the information in the world is it makes us feel like gods, right? Like I know oh, everything. Wow, I know this. and. What prayer does and what, like you said, these times in the word and stuff is to remind it's to give us awe of who God is compared to us Mm. and our relative Mm. smallness compared to him. And I think our phones get us in that way. But I think practically speaking, it's this overstimulization that says. Yeah. I can, I can, yeah. I'm always on that works against us. And so what's the name of yeah. that? You've, you've referenced the book multiple times for people who want to pick it up. What's the name of that book again? Yeah, it's Restless Devices. Uh, Felicia Sue Wong, or it might be Felicia Wu song. That's what it is, yeah. I believe. Yep, yep, yep. And, yep. and it is so worth your time. Absolutely worth your time to read. And in fact, if you go back on our podcast, uh, you can find our interview with her, and it was really, really Absolutely. Meaningful. Let me tell you about uh, a great offer that we have here at the station, because in these uncertain times, it can be really hard to live with certainty. But in his book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, Dr. David Jeremiah provides a biblical roadmap to living in certainty. Now, during the month of April, you can enter to win a copy of this book along with unshakable confidence cards. Those are 10 challenges to remind us to find confidence in our Heavenly Father and stay focused on Him. And one grand prize winner is going to win a signed, leather-bound Jeremiah Study Bible. And now everyone who enters will receive the April issue of Turning Point's devotional magazine and an instant ebook download of the Seven Signs of Easter, Evidence of the Resurrection of Jesus. 
Jesus Christ. Enter today at 1160hope.com slash confidence and make sure to listen to Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah every weekday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We always say such a good package of stuff. I know. You, you're you a winner. Even if you don't win like the grand prize, everybody it's wins. Like, I love it. It's the participation trophy. But in this case, the participation trophy is really good. So That's right. Well, you know, I love participation trophies. So I'm for this. <laughs> good. I know. I know. This is a conflict in our relationship. <laughs> but I do love participation Many trophy. jokes. But I love, this, I love this prize more than, more than that. There you go. Okay. Uh, switching gears over at Desiring God. They wrote this uh, blog post called finding joy in the dark and they reference psalm chapter 70 and so i do want to dive into it but um before we do aubrey just as one who has written a book on lament um Mm -hmm. the the think of the book of philippians right in the concept of joy uh knowing what paul was going through most scholars believe paul was about to die he was Mm -hmm. imprisoned and he talks about joy and joy and joy um how to ask this question other than why is it important that we understand that joy is available in the darkest times? And why is it important to hold on to that concept? Mm. Um, wow. That's a really good question, Brian. I, I mean, I, you know, I think about what comes to mind immediately is my, sometimes I feel like if we don't have joy and, and by joy, you and I are talking about like that deep-seated assurance that all shall be well, mm-hmm. um, even if it doesn't feel that way right now, um, because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross and will accomplish in his return. That's what we're talking about when we mean joy. It's like if you don't have that as an anchor, then I, I if it were me, like you'd lose your, you'd lose your mind, you'd lose your way, you'd lose your any sort of like ability to even get out of bed in the mm. morning. Does that make it sense? Does. Like especially when, especially when seasons are really, really grievous and really, really tragic, um, without having a hope that God will one day make all things new and right and good. Um, what does Tolkien say? Like every sad story will one day be unwritten mm. without that assurance it's very like i i guess we just need that to go on mm-hmm. frankly and i don't even necessarily mean go on and thrive i just mean like get up day to day and keep keep living your life yeah. and trusting that like there's goodness and gifts here to be that's found. good you you did something really important but i'd love for you to dive in a little more to it you differ you, you defined joy uh, mm-hmm. Most of us, when we hear the word joy, we we think it, it is a synonym to the word happy. Uh, right. So that in my darkness, I'm to be happy. I'm to right. be, oh, this is fine. Not a big deal, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's super dangerous. Help us understand yeah. the differentiation between joy and happiness. I always think about Jesus when we think about this question because we we see Jesus you know, especially at the, I mean, there's a lot of times we see Jesus weep. He weeps after he comes in on Palm Sunday, just thinking Mm. through the nation of Israel and their own pain and sin that they're causing themselves. He weeps, um, at Lazarus's death, even though he knows he's going to raise Lazarus. Um, you know, he weeps for the, like, just the enemy that death is. And yet I think all of us would assume like, 
Jesus was a joyful person, emanating joy. And that's true joy, meaning like he had a deep, deep, unassailable trust in God, the father's will and goodness. Mm. And that's what I would say, you know, because ha- I mean, we all want to feel happy. Don't get me wrong. Like happiness is like, Wee, this is awesome. Yay. But you're not going to look at the death of a child. You're not going to look at your best friend having cancer. Mm. You're not going to look at um, the war in Ukraine and go, oh, yay, I'm so happy. No, you're going to say this is devastating and horrible and evil, and it should not be so, just like Jesus did at, at evil things. But then simultaneously, or I should say, and then simultaneously, hope and trust and believe that God is on the throne, God is sovereign, and God is writing a better story. And I think that's joy. Mm. That's the difference, right? Like hope, happiness is that feeling, right? Yeah. Joy is like a like a, a faith. An it's like a choice. It's an anchor. And, and yeah. with that in mind, I think that's a good leading into at the at desiring God. They talk about this concept of joy, and they do it around Psalm seventy. Uh, and Psalm mm. 70, without getting too much into it, you go back and read it, uh, is David in the midst of some great struggle. Uh, he talks yeah. about it. Where are you, God? Like, it's one of those types of psalms. But in the midst of it, so not after it's all been resolved, uh, but mm-hmm. in the midst of this prayer, we get to verse 4, Psalm 70, verse 4, and he says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. So he's in the midst of all of this struggle. And he says, uh, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Um, That feels paradoxical. It feels backwards. And it also seems like there's, it takes work on our part, right? Like there's us seeking Right. We're may yeah. all who seek yeah. God. So uh, there's a lot of different ways to go here. But Aubrey, when we're in the darkness, when we're in the pain, you wrote a book about it. When we're lamenting, mm-hmm. when we're in the midst of it, I think our inclination is to often just shut God out and be like, this yeah. is God's fault. I want nothing to do with him. But David speaks here yeah. of seeking him in the midst of the struggle. Maybe speak to again why that's important. But even more importantly, how do we do that? How What does that even look like in the time of darkness? I think David's example here in Psalm 70 is a really good one. This is actually known as an imprecatory lament, mm. which means he is actually imprecating his enemies. Like he, like um, that's uh, where we get the phrase cursing. Like he's literally cursing his enemies in this lament. May all those who's may those who say to me, aha, turn back because of their shame. Like he is wishing ill on his enemies, which is not something that we think is like acceptable to do. But so in this, while he's while he's suffering, while he's being attacked, he's not denying that. In fact, we're seeing a very human David saying, like, I want my enemies to, like, be ashamed mm. because they're coming after me. But then what I love is his humility. But as for me, I am poor and needy. So come quickly to me, God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. And this is where I think the words of the Bible are so helpful for us because we don't necessarily know how to pray or what to pray when we're facing horrible situations. Like maybe it is an enemy coming after us, or maybe it is like a metaphorical enemy coming after us, but we can borrow the faith of other, you know, sufferers like David. Mm. And we can actually, one thing we can practically do is pray Psalm 70 aloud to God, God come quick to save me, help me. May those who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all those who desire my ruin be turned. I mean, you could say this of cancer. May Mm. cancer be ashamed and turned away. May cancer 
be disgraced. But Lord, I am so poor and needy, like I desperately need you. And I I, I just feel like that's where what, what I love even about David saying rejoice is that it's like reminding us to be joyful again. There's other places that David says like, um, return to your rest, oh my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. It's like we have to remind our souls Remember, yes. remember, go back to your joy, go back to your hope, go back to your deliverer, go back to your confidence, focus on him and not these other things. And it, it it's a very intentional, very, and we see David do this a lot. He's very intentional about reminding his soul to return to his joy in the mm. Lord. And that's what we have to do. Yeah. The author of this article, Stephen Whitmer, and he ends it this way. Please don't wait to pursue your joy in God until God has healed your brokenness and resolved your problems. Verse four mm. isn't a postscript to Psalm 70. It doesn't come after David's crisis. It emerges from the midst of it. This is an example and an invitation for us. Don't wait to pursue your joy. Start now. I think just a great word for those of us mm-hmm. going through it right now. Uh, yeah. A heavy topic. Um for sure, but one full of joy and one full of hope. Well, uh, we talked earlier, Aubrey, about um, the 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 way that our phones are forming us. But uh, I, I love what Jeff Mingy did over at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, he said this. Uh, he said, the God who is seeing but not scrolling. And he goes back to the story of Hagar. And Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, she is fleeing. You remember with Abraham and Sarah, uh, she is fleeing. And there's this fascinating verse uh, at verse, uh, I think it was verse seven, where she calls God uh, the, you are the God of seeing. It's verse 13. You are the God of seeing. And and, uh, Jeff Mingy is going to go on here to talk about how in our culture, we don't see things. We just blow past things all the time, uh, whether it be scrolling, like we don't stop and we don't take stuff in. We don't do this. But instead, we just scroll past things and we don't notice, especially uh, people or things that cannot help us, that don't move our agenda forward, if you will. We don't see things. And, and I never really realized that they're right there in Genesis 16 that that Hagar refers to God as the God who sees the God. She doesn't just refer to him. She names him Elroy. She's one of the first female theologians we see in scripture. And she names God. And it is so powerful because I, I'm I'm sorry go. to cut you off, yeah. but I just feel like ha- Hagar gets minimized and reduced as like this like footnote in Abraham and Sarah's story. But what we don't realize is like the mission of God moves powerfully through Hagar because he begins to extend his name and his salvation and his glory through the rest of the nations, through her Mm. and through her son. She is the first, besides, I would say besides Eve, she's one of the first female theologians because she names God. And it's, I think this, this name, El Roy, the God who sees me is so, so powerful, but you're exactly right, Brian, like, especially in a day and age when we don't see, we, we're, we scroll, but we don't see. I think that's so brilliant that he said that in the article is so, so true. Because she, like you said, she's treated as an afterthought in the story. She's treated yep. as a hindrance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah. God has chosen Abraham. You would think that God would treat her that way, too, in a human way. You know, obviously, mm. we know enough about God to know that he wouldn't. But if you were yeah. writing the story, you might go, oh, and then God said, get out of here, Hagar. It's time for Abraham right. and Sarah. And we've got we've got a plan to mm-hmm. play here. Um, and mm-hmm. we do there. Well, let's before we move this to our need to see what's going on around us. 
How is this extremely comforting to everybody and empowering that God sees even the people that 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 get blown past in our culture? Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Mary's song, the Magnificat in Luke, you know, where she's she says something like he has looked he like he has looked upon this lowly servant and lifted her up. It's that same concept that those that the rest of the world mistreat or ignore or um, even vilify God sees God lifts up God finds in their wildernesses and like brings them home and gives them Mm. a new purpose we even see that with Hagar and her son Ishmael and um, there's so many I mean there's so many beautiful like even parallels with Moses and the Israelites of the story like Moses runs away from home Hagar runs away from home Moses says to God, like, God, you Mm. found me here. God is finding Hagar. Like, so we see that Hagar is so important to God in a way that, like you said, she's dismissed. I mean, she's abused, frankly, by Abraham and Sarah, but she's dismissed by so many even of us as we read the Bible. But she was so important. Ishmael was so important to God. And so I think for all of us, if you feel like, you know, you're unseen or you're not being noticed or... Uh, God isn't seeing you because other people don't see you. That's actually not accurate. Like God, God sees you and doesn't just scroll past you as this article says, but is, is searching for you and finding you in your own wilderness season. So how does that change our day-to-day lives then? Uh, It just struck me when you started passionately talking about Hagar naming God, like you wrote a book about this, right? Known and, and Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How does this make a difference? So we have a God who sees yeah. us, in, even if we feel like the world yeah. doesn't see us. It feels like people are just kind of looking past yeah. us, uh, but God yeah. doesn't. So once we embrace that, how does that change things? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few ways that it does. I think one, like it's the difference between walking around with like your head hanging low, like you hate yourself, you're alone, you're isolated and like walking with your head held high because you know that the God of the universe like is searching Mm. you out and seeing you and finds you and loves you and is speaking like delight and goodness over you. That's a completely different perspective change about who you are. And then also because of that, you know that you have a purpose, like God has given you a purpose for your life as well. And so you're not here randomly. Your God has put you on this planet on purpose with a purpose for a purpose. And then I think the other thing is that can empower us to treat other people who are the unseen in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work, in other nations to treat them with the same amount of dignity that God treats Hagar and all Mm. of us. Uh, Jeff Mingi says here in the article, basically he says, also, if a God who sees, we can start to take him at his word that he provides us with deep comfort and deep presence Mm. when we are struggling. That if it was, if I was a nuisance to God, if he, if I was, you know, just one in a billion scrolling past my life, then we couldn't trust him to be what he said he's going to be. And we couldn't not really be worthy of worship. Now you pointed out that this should affect how we see other people, uh, how we Mm -hmm. as Christians were to model this in some way. Um, Expand, expand on that. Help us understand that a little more. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if we think about how God sees all of us, and and what you and I have been implying this whole time, but maybe we haven't said directly, is that it's not just that God sees, like God knows where every person is at all times, like Santa Claus. It's that God um, sees and pursues mm. and draws near and cares for. Like there's there lifts up. Like there's layers of what it means that God sees us. That God is Elroy, and so for what it what I think it really means, especially in the context of Hagar, is that those that we think are outside of the bounds of God's love um, that I mean, Hagar wasn't in the nation of Israel outside of the bounds, really, in that day and age of of God's like lordship. And yet Mm. God pursued her and God pursued Ishmael. And so I think for all of us, we need to be really careful when we put boundary lines where God has not put boundary lines, when that comes to our empathy and our compassion and our mm. love and our reaching out and our good neighboring and that God ultimately wants to draw all people, no matter who they are, where they came from, what they're struggling with, how alone they are, even no matter what their sin is, he wants to draw all people to himself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ And he wants to use us as a part of that. And so I think that's what we just, we have to be very careful in our like righteous attempts to like live rightly, which I Mm -hmm. think is a good thing, but that we don't, again, we don't put boundary lines where God hasn't when it comes to his love and his affection and his attention. And people should go pick up your book. (laughs) That's what a lot of this is about. Amen. Amen. That's right. Well, uh, (laughs) I thought that was very uh, it's not something I've thought, thought a lot about, but the God who sees us, how does that change everything in a mm. world where we often feel unseen? Uh, that is an important word. You can go check that out at the Gospel Coalition. Brian, uh, you know, we've said many times on the show, you and I are both pastors. More than that, we're Christians. And we love God's word. We've talked quite a bit about how God's word has meant a lot to us in different ways. You and I try to read the Bible, not that we do it all the time perfectly, but that we at least try to have God's word in our lives consistently. We'll talk in just a minute about how we go about that. But interestingly, Christianity Today reported, listen to this number, Brian. I'm not even going to tell you the number yet, and I'll say it at the end. A very big number of Americans stopped reading the Bible regularly during COVID, and they're actually making this connection that perhaps the sharp decline in Bible reading might also be connected to the drop Mm. in church attendance. That number is 26 million Americans stopped reading the Bible regularly during COVID. Okay. That's a pretty large number, Brian. Like, I was shocked to hear that. I want to know what you think about that number and then why. I mean, like, why COVID do you think that that So when I first read that number in this article, my first thought was, okay, sometimes, like, you know, when you read these surveys and they lump together all these different choices and it sounds worse. Yeah. But it's actually not true. This is 26 million people that had, quote, mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible in the last year. So it's not even like I read it Mm -hmm. less or a little less. This is like mostly or completely stopped and like you said they were looking for reasons they're all they're like they actually in the article they say that we went back and redid our calculations going it says uh john plake he's the lead researcher he says we reviewed our calculations we double checked our math and ran the numbers again and again what we discovered was startling Mm. disheartening and disruptive they basically said we didn't think we could be right about this like this has to be like this is too much uh, you ask right. the right question. Why would there be this drop in? Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy right now to tie everything that to tie everything to, to, to the pandemic. But 
that's the thing that's changed in the span of this research, right? Like we've been in a pandemic. So right. the weird part is at the beginning of the pandemic, I remember when Ian and I were doing shows when the pandemic first started. And one of the things was people are turning to the Bible. More and more people are praying more and more people yeah. because yeah. everything's upside down. Yeah. I think yeah. now, how can we tie this to the pandemic? I think a couple different reasons. Their point about less church is interesting. Maybe I'm in church less. I'm not in a small group. I'm not in these things that aren't mm -hmm. pushing me to it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting. But beyond that, I do think, and I'm just speaking anecdotally from my own life, I do think there yeah. were a lot of rhythms pre-pandemic that then got just blown up that, interesting. that don't get just picked up where you left off. And so you're almost yeah. going... Yeah. Okay, I used to read my Bible at this point of my day, and this would look like mm -hmm. then everything changed for a long enough time mm -hmm. that that change become normative. And now that things are becoming mm -hmm. more normal, you don't just go, okay, this is when I do it again. Things are different. It all looks different. And so it yeah. becomes prioritizing yeah. what does that need to look like now as opposed to, okay, got to get back to exactly how we did it. I think what we're learning is so much has changed from what we used yeah. to do versus now that I'm not sure it's helpful to be like, well, how'd she used to do it? But instead, okay, what's it look like now in your life now? That's what it feels like to me. It feels like a, a disruption in, um, in rhythm. Um, yeah, that's interesting because maybe you did it like before your kids went to school or after you dropped them off at school and then suddenly they're home all the time for school or you did it at your lunch break and suddenly you don't have a lunch break because you're working remotely. Like, yeah, that makes sense, Brian, that the, just that disruption and then getting back into it would be really, really difficult. I wondered myself, too, if um, some of it was everyone was turning the Bible at first and then the longer this thing went on, the more people just began to lose like hope and faith and encouragement. And so they just mm. gave up. But what's interesting is here's what Christianity Today is positing. OK, they say that um, this is from uh, Don Whitney. He's a professor of biblical spirituality at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He thinks there's probably a causal connection between churches not meeting during COVID and this sharp decline mm. in Bible reading. Basically, he says, when people are not in church, they're not reminded of the blessings of Scripture and its importance for their lives. And they aren't encouraged by other Christians sharing about their own Bible reading. And so with this article, this report at CT is going on to say is that. Churches are the main place that people learn how to read the Bible. And Don Whitney, this professor, says it is clearly the responsibility of the local church. The church should teach them. And so this is making me think of a few things, Brian. One, um, that Bible reading or Bible study, whatever you is really meaningful and helpful for people when it does happen in community through the local church, whether that's small group, whether that's Sunday morning. I don't know what that expression necessarily looks like, but that people need the communal aspect of Bible reading if they're going to even do it individually, like on their own. And that was kind of a surprise to me. Like, I think because 
you know, probably is like quote unquote professional Christians, you know, you're supposed to get up and read your Bible and have your individual quiet time. But sometimes I do think we forget the value of like, no, we need to gather together as believers to even remind each other Mm. why it matters and why this is so important and how God uses scripture. So that was an interesting insight. What do you think about that? It makes sense, right? Like this Mm -hmm. kind of thing is about just connecting the dots. Like, well, that does do we know for sure that's what we don't know but you start to go right there has right. to be a catalyst to this a reason for some people uh maybe the fact that church stopped meeting and it didn't affect their lives so much made them go well if i stop reading my bible it's not going to affect right. me so much right. like there's you start right. pulling that thread and it goes um i mean i do think we could talk a lot about reasons but i also think aubrey the bigger red flag in this is you do what you think is important. So is this implying mm. or te- not even just implying, does this mean that the vast majority of people, 26 million or whatever, is this just emblematic of a precipitous decline in people's seeing the Bible as important at all? We say right. it's the word right. of God. We say it's his revealed word. Right. But this seems right. to say to me that we have more and more people around us who are going, eh, I could take it or leave it. It's not that big. So, yes, right. there's training. Yes, right. there's rhythm. But I feel like if mm. you thought it was essential and that important, those other things would you come. do it. So, Brian, you know, for the person out there who is, you've just described them like, hey, look, I did read my Bible for a while. It didn't really help me, especially during the covid or I don't know why it's essential. I I don't understand why this like reading the Bible really matters for my faith. I believe in Jesus. Mm. Isn't that enough? What would you say to encourage somebody about the value of of scripture reading? I would say I get it. Okay, like I have a million Bibles in my house, right? Like it it becomes (laughs) right, right. In some ways, it just becomes normal. But I I would want to shake us out of that and say, listen, um, if I told you that you could go into your backyard today and the God of the universe is going to speak to you, wouldn't you run Mm. to your backyard? Like, wouldn't you get out there? Wow. Yes. We can't see our Bible as anything less than that. Because if we do, if it's just a good Mm. book, well, I ignore good books all the time. Um, Mm. But if we understand it is the revealed word of God to us, then I do feel like we have to raise the specter of what it is. And and then we'll read it. So I'd go down that path, I think. Um, And I feel a little guilty saying it. You know, like I go times without reading my Bible. Like I don't want to. Speak like you and I are like, oh, you know, we get up for two hours and bask in God's presence every day. This is a struggle for all of us. But I think it goes back to what Mm. do you actually believe the Bible to be? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. And if it truly is God's word, then, you know, why wouldn't you spend five minutes, 10 minutes, grab your version app, whatever it is that helps you get back into God's word and um, find find him there ultimately. And it is Friday. You know what that means? One of our favorite things to do each and every week. Top five list top five top five top five top five top five things with brian and aubrey all right with uh that brian we're going to reveal our top five list why don't you reveal it because you actually have a story yeah my idea this week was our top five game shows i love a good game show i love a good game show um and you and I went a little bit different directions because I was like, I stayed away from reality TV. I went like straight mm-hmm. game show. Uh, and a lot of these go right. back to our childhood. But Aubrey, when I was in the sixth grade, 
Sixth grade? Yeah, I think sixth grade. Uh, we took a class trip down to Philadelphia. I grew up in New Jersey. We took a class trip okay. uh, to the game show studios of a Nickelodeon game show called Finders Keepers. And no way. what they did was they or they came in like a couple of weeks before and they interviewed all the students in our grade or in our, yeah, it was at our grade. And uh, they chose two boys and two girls because uh, it was a boy and a girl would be on the show. So they were going to be at least at least okay. two tapings okay. that day. So they needed a boy and a girl okay. for each taping. And then uh, they brought one boy alternate, one girl alternate. And they said 50% of the time they tape a third show with the alternate. <gasps> uh, so I was chosen as the alternate. No so way. I went down there like I might be on a game show. Like I remember one of the kids who one of my <gasps> friends who was one of the ones chosen, he ended up winning a TV. Like whoa, in sixth grade, right? Come uh, on. They did not choose the alternates that day. So Aww. I just didn't get I got I'm all so nervous. Like you. I'm gonna I feel play. like that's a dream, a I'm dream like deferred. Play, and then went went did not. So anyway, but I'm that's so how sorry. I got that close to uh to realizing my dream of being on a game show. But did not happen. Okay. Wow. Wow. One day, Brian. Although, you know, we do a lot of trivia shows that you compete with my husband on. So I basically, I feel like your dreams have come true just in a different way. Prizes, yeah. <laughs> That's accurate. Yes. Much less prizes. Just pride at beating Kevin. Okay, Brian. Well, since uh, you started this off, why don't you tell us what your number five yep, game and, show and is? In our conversation before this, we did learn, I don't know any of yours, except that you match what my number five is somewhere else in your list. Yes. Uh, yes. Finders yes. Keepers that I that I was almost on was uh-huh. on directly before Double Dare. Nickelodeon, Double Dare. right? That was such a good show. Uh, so that yes, was that was the sliming and this and that. The game really had no yes. point except to just get all messy and then win. It's just kind of uh, gross. So if you right? were our yeah. age, like we are, like if we watch Double Dare now, or if my kids did, I think it would be really, really dumb. Yeah, we'd probably be like, "This but is really at our dumb. age when Double Dare came out. It was kind of a phenomenon, yeah. and so uh, I'm going to go oh, with it was Double so Dare. Cool." Yeah, every kid wanted to be on Double Dare, too. That was just, like, awesome. Okay, Double Dare, number five. All right, my number five is um, a newer one that's on Netflix that my kids really like. And I feel like it's sort of in the Double Dare family, but, like, the upgraded version. And that's The Floor is Lava, where... Yeah, the competitors go in different rooms and there's actual, I mean, it's not actual <laughs> lava, but it looks like actual lava on the floor of like a living room set or a, you know, a weird Egyptian temple. And they have to like crawl all around and not get their feet in the lava. If they do, they lose. So the floor is lava. It's pretty entertaining. It'd be more entertaining I like if it. it was real lava. It would be much more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. The weird part of the show is they like, I don't know how the director got people to do this, but if you fall in the lava, the contestants like, and get like sucked down so you don't see them again. I'm assuming they were told they have to just stay under the lava till they cut the camera, but it's very funny the way that it happens. It's like they disappear into the lava. Okay. Yep. All right. What's your number four? This is old school from when we were younger. So not like not like old, old school of black and white stuff, but Mm -hmm. more when we were young. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you remember the show Press Your Luck? I do not remember remember Press Your Luck. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Stop. 
Oh, you need to Google No, it. what is that? Uh, that's all I really remember of it, where you would get turns, okay, okay. and it would like be randomly bouncing around, and if you got, you stopped it, and if it landed on money, it kept adding, but if you kept pressing your luck, and you landed on these whammies. Interesting. But the cool thing was, because back then, again, this would look so dumb now, but back then, the animation yeah. and stuff, like from the whammies, they would be like, and they would like get you, like little goblins. <laughs> and so, yes, I remember uh, Press Your Luck was a wonderful okay. show. Okay. Okay, okay, that's a good one. All right, I'm going to go a little, um, this little classic. This would be a classic game show that I enjoy because I like trivia games, and this is sort of like trivia, and that would be Family yes. Feud. That's my number four. I like, and I really like Celebrity Family Feud, where, like, celebrities bring on their friends or family, because that's always bit, very funny, you, very entertaining. So I'm going Family Feud. You know who Feud. should be on the Family food, Feud is the, uh, the royal family. I think you would enjoy that one. <gasps> oh yeah they better do it before queen elizabeth dies yeah. never do that real soon Off the subject, but uh. harry didn't do any favors with that uh interview the other day oh i didn't see he did it, it with my girl harry, Hoda Kotb, and, uh, he took some oh. he took some NYP. veiled shots at his brother and father again so well, Aubrey, oh, it's so sad. All this, right, Brian, number three. Surprise you. You and I don't normally link up on these, but my number three is your number four. Uh, I love the family, family feud. feud. Uh, hey, you know, all right. It, it's it's just everything you love about families, and they're always a uh, they're always mm -hmm. borderline inappropriate. They're funny. Yeah, they are. They know, are. How? Tell me, yeah. this wouldn't fly anymore. You do remember like the guy for years on Family Feud, Richard Dawson. Uh, Yes, who was like no, a murderer uh, no, or something? That was dark. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? There's something up with it's Richard not, Dawson. I'll get to though. where you're going here in a second. Richard Dawson okay. used to go and kiss all the women on their lips. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay, sorry, sorry, not a murderer, but that's horrible. So, very ah! 70s, I think. But no, I thought you were trying to say yes. one of the mid 90s, early. I think it was mid to late 90s hosts of the um, of the Family Feud killed himself. So I thought that's where you were Maybe going. So really dark. Oh, uh, I also, sad. as a side note, because a lot of these games, sorry, these everyone, games you also tie to your memories, right? I have memories mm -hmm. yes. of of my grandparents. We called them Nanny and Papa. I have memories of them watching The Family Feud. I could be wrong about that, but in my memory, like yeah. I might have only watched it with them once, but in my memory, they, you know how that works. Like that's they used to watch The Family Feud, and so yes yeah i that's how i this one is not on my list although it could be on anyone's uh, honorable mention or possible list my grandparents always watch wheel of fortune on so that's my, my big mention. i remember my wheel of mention. fortune okay so i'm i'm kind of breaking the rules here a little bit brian but i have to do it because it's true i would call this a very very postmodern game show and that would that's my number okay. three survivor which is more like a reality yes. game show where, you know, you're still competing for a prize, but it's my very, wife, very different. So we like Survivor as a house. My daughter still watch it every week. Uh, yeah, so, do, so does my husband and my kids. Number two for me is Jeopardy. This is Jeopardy. I love oh, Jeopardy. Oh, Jeopardy. It's just a good game. It's just tr trivia. Yeah. And all the people you're watching are smarter than you. But you feel so good when you get one Yeah, right. they're so smart. Right. And you feel so dumb when you don't. Um, okay, my uh, my number two, I, I've just made a switch last minute here because I've decided my number one game needs to be the one I watched most as a kid. So my number two was your number five, and that's Double Dare. Double Dare, so, so good and so, so fun. Okay, Brian, any honorable mentions before number one? I had two honorable mentions. You already mentioned one of them, Wheel okay. of Fortune. 
uh, yep. enjoy yep. that. It's been around forever. Uh, number two, uh, my other honorable mention, and much more the the recent version of this. We watched it as a family for a little while, not so much anymore. Uh, was Let's Make a Deal. Now Wayne Brady does Let's Make a Deal. I enjoy Wayne Brady on Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal. Wait, Let's Make a Deal is different than Price is Right. Uh, Which one's Let's Make a Deal? Let's Make a Deal where you're like, do you want to get behind curtain number one or curtain number two? And Oh, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. Okay, okay. That's uh, fun. Okay, that's that fun. All right. That was heresy that you just spoke because my number one is <laughs> The Price oh. is Right. I'm so and sorry. To the link price it is to right. Let's make a deal. Is oh my goodness. The price is right. It I, still it, holds seem up. Similar. Drew Carey does a great job with it. But but we're he's talking great. Bob he's a great Barker, host. Price is right. If when the yeah. theme music to the Price is Right comes on, I either immediately yeah. feel like I'm homesick from school, <laughs> or or I feel like it's the summer and we're like we just had swim lessons and you're home eating like a uh, yeah, eating a sandwich yeah. and the price is right comes on a popsicle oh, that music gets you right away <laughs> oh that's awesome the price is right that's where the people always wear the crazy costumes on Aubrey, the price is right are, right and then they no, come on down no, no. <laughs> yes it's come on down is the price is right the crazy what's the costume let's make a deal is that what's yes. making <laughs> very different shows they're the same very show very different they're the shows same show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Brian. I feel You're like I'm letting you down. Here. All right. My, my number one, this is straight from the 80s. I still like this game. I still want to play it with my kids all the time. And that is win, lose, or draw. People in the living room basically playing Pictionary. That's one of my favorites. All right. So those are our uh, top five TV game shows. We'd love to hear yours. Let us know on social media at Common Good Talk. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. It is the end of the show. It is Friday night. We hope you're headed home to some really good plans. One of the things we like to do on Friday is to search the the wide, wild, wide, wild, wacky world of the internet <laughs> and find crazy stories. Apparently, I can't speak in alliteration. Uh, we liked our, our executive pr- producer, Keith Conrad. He actually yes, searches he the internet. He finds the craziest stories and he gives them to us just before we share them with you. So the first time Brian and I are reading them is the first time we are actually seeing them and so our reactions are real-time reactions and brian i've got a first really good one for us this is out of norway listen to this who this one kind of makes me nervous even reading it are you ready for it a woman swims nearly 300 feet under ice for guinness world record a South African woman broke her own Guinness World Record by swimming a distance of 295 feet and 3 inches under ice. Amber Fillery, who initially set this record two years ago in Norway with a distance of 229 feet and 7.9 inches, broke her own record in a different spot in Norway with 295-foot, 3-inch swim without fins, without oh. a diving suit. So she's actually down there just in a bathing suit. She holds the Guinness World Record for the longest underwater walk with one breath, which she achieved in Egypt. She prepared for this recent record by gradually getting her body used to the cold in Berlin and then practicing in the Norway lake where she broke the record. I would never want to do this, and I would be so scared I would get trapped under the ice. So no thank you. what's interesting about that story is... You'd expect hmm. it to be like a Norwegian woman or an Antarctican woman or somewhere from South yeah. African. That is like from a warm place. That's interesting. 
I mean, that's from a very warm place. You're right. So that's kind of an interesting, you know, interesting goal. Interesting goal. But All way right. to go. Way to go. She did it. Iceberg, run ahead! Like, that one might be admired, but this one is to be celebrated. Out of Pennsylvania, <laughs> Pennsylvania man becomes the 11th Pac-Man player to get perfect score. A no Pennsylvania way. man joined the ranks of the video gaming elite by becoming one of only 11 people worldwide to achieve a perfect score in the classic arcade game Pac-Man. Jake Goldberg completed all 256 levels of the 1980 arcade game in 4 hours and 12 minutes and racked up 3,333,360 points, the highest score possible in the game. Twin Twin Galaxies, the record-keeping organization for video games, said Goldberg is one of only 11 people to have achieved a perfect score in Pac-Man. Goldberg said he's aiming to get the highest possible score in the arcade game, Galaga, uh, a feat that would take more than 16 consecutive hours to achieve. Like, that guy is setting... He's setting his mind to things and getting it done. Man, I would like to know how old this person is. And that is wild because those ghosts in Pac-Man, they come after you. So well done. This is, you're right. This is worth celebrating. All right. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two liter bottle of Shasta and my all rush mixtape. Let's rock. All right. Here is a story out of Maryland. Maryland man unaware that he won $50,000 Powerball prize while on vacation. Man, these people are winning things like crazy. Retired policeman John Boyd didn't realize he was a Powerball winner until he returned from vacation. He won 50 grand from a ticket he purchased at Lucky's in Parkville, Maryland. The 64-year-old said he doesn't typically buy lottery tickets. I swear they all say that. I don't typically buy lottery tickets unless the Powerball jackpot grows past 100 million. He scanned his Powerball ticket when he returned from vacation. The Towson, Maryland resident said he bought. He thought the machine was in error when it said he won the third-tier prize. I thought it was a mistake, Boyd said. Boyd said he is still thinking of how to spend his winnings. A man in Virginia recently collected a prize of 147 grand when he bought 30 identical lottery tickets for a single drawing. Unbelievable. I don't ever buy them unless it's above 100 million. <laughs> I can't. I can't be uh, uh, inconvenienced if it's a mere eighty right. million dollars. Exactly. I don't. I don't want a mere fifty million dollars. Exactly. Only a hundred mil is good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> money, 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 money. Uh, next one's out of North Carolina. Overturned truck releases ten cows onto North Carolina highway. Authorities in North Carolina said traffic on a highway was diverted for several hours when a crashed truck released 10 cows onto the roadway. The Winston-Salem Police Department said on Twitter that the tractor-trailer overturned on northbound U.S. Route 52 near the intersection with I-40, releasing the 10 cows. Police said it was divert. The traffic was diverted onto eastbound I-40s while they tried to round up the loose cows. All of the, all Come of on. the cows except one. One got away. <gasps> We're rounded up Thursday afternoon, but Friday morning, that final cow had been located and safely captured. Oh, Unfortunately, deputies did have to write her multiple citations, including for running at large, obstructing (laughs) traffic, failing to heed the blue lights and sirens, resisting arrest, underage driving, and no driver's license. Ah, uh, that's funny. That's a good. That's a good uh, sense of humor over there at that police department. That's funny. That reminds me, Brian. One time I went to see a, like exotic animal races at the racetrack sure in Oklahoma City, 
And yes, and there were, uh, was it kangaroos in the race? And one of them like hopped the fence and just everyone took after it to try to go get it. It was it made for the, the whole day. Way. It was so entertaining. Get me out of here. It was so entertaining. Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about. All right, here's the last story out of Washington State. A woman rescued. I can't even read this without dying of laughter. A woman was rescued after falling in a toilet trying to get phone. A woman <laughs> A woman who accidentally dropped her cell phone into the hole of an outhouse. Oh, uh, that, got, that got dark. Uh, yep, that got dark real fast. In a national forest, she fell while trying to retrieve it, had to be rescued by firefighters. I don't even want to read the rest of the story, but she'd been using her phone, fell into the toilet. She dis or no, the, sorry, the uh, fire department chief disassembled the toilet seat and used dog leashes to try and get the phone. Eventually used the leashes to tie herself off as she reached for it. The effort fell and she fell into the toilet oh, head first. No. She was alone. She tried to get out for 10 to 15 minutes. She somehow was reunited with her phone, called 911. I don't even necessarily want to read this. She was washed down, encouraged to seek medical attention after being exposed to human waste, but she only wanted to leave. This uh, department officer uh, says, I've been doing this for 40 years, and this was a first. Oh, so unbelievable. Much nasty. Can we just say one of the strangest parts of that story is she's down there and she was quote unquote reunited with her phone. How nasty was that I phone? Don't, I don't, I don't. There's a lot of that story that I don't understand, but I'm glad she's okay. You will remember to wash your hands before you eat anything. That is, can we just end by saying that that is full Keith right there, our executive producer. <laughs> that he is got you on that he one. loves he that got story on that one. so much. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. That's what happens when you search the internet for crazy stories. You will definitely find them. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Stay out of outhouses <laughs> this weekend, if you will. We'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.